Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 23rd episode of Terrific Talk. Yes, after about a month away, kind of retooling things, we are back. And we are back with a very special guest tonight, Jay, a.k.a. Killsberry, a.k.a. the person you may know from YouTube that is of Bloodbath and Beyond, a YouTube channel that does horror movie reviews. So, Welcome, Jay. So glad to have hello, you here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, and thank you. Uh, this has been like a month in the making and kind of us messaging <laughs> back and forth, and I'm just really excited to have you on. Awesome. I'm excited to talk 80s. 80s. I love, like, arguably the best era of horror movies. I would, so. t- I would tend to agree with you because I remember when I, was, I messaged you and I was like, okay, what era of horror would you want to talk about? And you were like, all of them. I go, you have to pick one. And he goes, all right, I'll pick the 80s. Yep. I, I think there's the most to talk about, potentially, because that's where all of, like, most people's favorite movies come from around the or late, late 70s, early 80s. Yes. And, I mean, a lot of us, well, my generation grew up with them. I don't know how old you are, but... I grew up with all of the movies from the 80s because I'm an 80s baby. I am too. <laughs> I'm 36 years old, by the way. I'm not ashamed to admit okay. my age. Thir- 34, so that makes... Yeah. So basically everybody I know grew up with these movies, and anytime I ask somebody what their favorite movies are, almost all of them come from the 80s when you're talking about horror movies. So suitable genre or su- suitable era to talk about. Oh, definitely, definitely so. And I'm excited to get to talking about it. But before we jump into talking about 80s horror, I'm going to let you talk about yourself for a little bit and what you do as far as YouTube and why horror is one of your many, many loves. Um, basically, what we do over on Bloodbath and Beyond, that's my channel, uh, me and my friends just talk about horror movies. Um, usually, mostly reviews, but uh, we just kind of grew up like watching horror movies, like I said. And every day after high school, we would get together, we'd go and try and rent whatever movies that we could find or like dig in like the VHS bins at the time and just watch cheesy 80s horror movies pretty much exclusively. And then kind of you know, fast forward a a bunch of years and we have all this technology. We wanted to start a podcast and we opted to just turn on a video camera and shoot it instead. And then we uploaded that podcast to YouTube. Um, And we've been doing it for like five years now. We have over 1100 videos, which is bananas. Wow. Um, So it's just like a lot of, a lot of content, but it's a lot of fun because I'm doing it with my friends and they're longtime friends. These are people that, we, I was already watching movies with before for years. It's not like I called up some local people to try and find somebody to talk about movies with. It's These are my high school friends. Some people I've known for over 20 years. Oh, wow. So that definitely made it easy. So just like you said, having to call up people, say, hey, come talk horror with me. You already all knew each other. So just probably it just seemed like a natural fit. For, yeah, exactly. For a YouTube channel, especially. And I mean... <laughs> We were just riffing on movies back then. I mean, we started our channel kind of doing that, and we still do that uh, to an extent at times. But, I mean, there's a different appreciation once you watch so many. 
and then you realize that you're doing reviews, you kind of start thinking about them in a different way. And so we still riff them while we watch them, but we're also analyzing them while we do the reviews and stuff. And while still trying to be like our fun, <laughs> playful selves as I, th I think we are. I mean, who knows? Yeah. People seem to dig it. <laughs> well, they seem to because you got like all these subscribers and all these Twitter followers and people just seem to dig what you're laying down. That's, that's exactly, well, and it, we did not expect to kind of like grow as we did. So like we would be doing this with a hundred followers. Doesn't matter how many followers it was going to be because we just like what we're talking about. So Exactly. And horror is always such a fun topic to discuss. So let's go ahead now and segue into that 80s horror. Ah, as you said, you're an 80s baby. I'm an 80s baby. Um, you grew up on horror from the 80s, as did I. That's kind of where my tastes tend to uh, lie. But whenever you think of 80s horror, what do you feel defines like horror films from the 80s? So in other words, when you think of 80s horror, what is usually the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind are cheesy slashers or slashers in general, but I always, there's a slight bit of cheese there that's almost laughable, but in a fun way. But I think slashers is like the defining subgenre of the eighties, which is cool. I mean, there, obviously there's tons of different movies that came out like, mm -hmm. from body horror and all that stuff, but slashers, I think is the number one. Yes, uh, the fun and ridiculousness of both the movies from that era, especially as well. And another thing that comes to mind uh, when I think of 80s, and I don't know why this popped up, is sequels. There were so many sequels <laughs> yeah. to films during the 80s. It's insane. Of course, yeah. Is well, they realize they can make some money, and they're like, well, let's just pump a bunch of these things out and see what we can do. Yeah, especially in the 80s, um, I'm sure you remember VHS tapes, VHS players. I do. And yes, we're we're that old audience <laughs> that we remember that old technology. There's also people um, there were a lot of horror movies that went straight to video. People could build up their own little home library collections. So that's kind of like also what I feel when I think of 80s. I think a lot of VHS yeah, I had so many VHS tapes. And like back then, it's also uh, like you're, you're finding all these weird tapes. And most of the times when I'd go to the stores, they weren't even the same thing that was on the front cover. I mean, they definitely used shady marketing tactics back then. And it, um, it's just like, well, let's see what happens. We'll pop this in and hope for the best. And 80% of the time, nothing that was on the front cover or the back was what was actually on the tape. But, you know, sometimes you have a good time, sometimes you don't. Uh, but that was part of the fun of it. I also found it funny, um, not uh, movie-related, but still 80s-related, in the way that they would try to market horror to kids sometimes during that era. You would see, like, the Friday the 13th game for uh, Nintendo, the lunchboxes, the Halloween costumes. It's just like, dang, man, we 80s kids grew up tough whenever it came to the horror era. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you can even see movies like Critters and Ghoulies and stuff that are definitely more targeted to kids, even though they're definitely not for kids. Uh, well, I mean, arguably Child's Play 
as well. So oh my. I don't think that was that's more horror than Critters and Ghoulies, but you know, it was definitely had that appeal that would get kids interested. Exactly. So furry little animals like in Critters and Gremlins, um, dolls like in Child's Play. It's just like, yeah, they were secretly just trying to market stuff to kids. It worked because yeah. now look at the nostalgia coming back and we're talking about it right now because we grew up with it, enjoying it from an early age. Uh, it worked. It did work. And speaking of that um, early age, what is the very first horror movie that you remember watching um, during this era, the 80s? Uh, it was definitely Child's Play. And it was because I saw the cover at the like a Video 99 store, which was just like a convenience store that had like a baked in video section, probably had 12 movies. And I saw that cover and I'm like, I need this. And I begged my mom and she's like, no, this is not for you. I'm like, no, it is. I want the one with the dolly or whatever the term I use. I don't know. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, give me this. It was the worst decision ever, but also the best decision. Because, I mean, at the time I did have little stuffed animals and shit that I'm now throwing in my cupboard or my, <laughs> like, throw it in a dresser drawer, slam it shut before I go to bed because now I'm terrified. However... I grew up loving Child's Play, and yeah, I, I don't know. I think that it was a terrible idea for my mom to let me watch that, but you know, it got me hooked. It got me hooked. The one that, uh, so that was your introduction to the horror genre, like especially in the '80s, was Child's Play. All right, my mm -hmm. yeah, my introduction to it was an accidental one. It's a story that people have heard many times before because I t I tell it over and over. But my accidental introduction was Hellraiser. I was six years old, and I heard some noise like coming from the downstairs TV. I was like, what the hell is that? I creep down the stairs, sit, and I'm watching this guy getting pulled apart by shades. I was like, ah! <laughs> like, imagine, oh boy. imagine that <laughs> at six years old. <laughs> That's a little traumatizing, I would think. <laughs> yeah, so that was just like me. I was just like, nope. But then I think what really got me to start loving horror in the 80s was uh, Tales from the Crypt, the TV show. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely watched that when I could. Um, but I think another one was Poltergeist. Poltergeist was one that I just remember was on TV a lot. <laughs> and I would always catch it. I don't know it was if... I don't know why it was on TV, but maybe on one of those special channels like the movie network that we had. I'm in Canada, so I don't know exactly what we had here. The equivalent to HBO, I guess. Canadian HBO. Yeah. And it was just... It was on all the time. Like, Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2 were just on repeat, and I would watch them all the time. I was terrified, but I was intrigued because... There's other kids. There's lots of kids in all these like old horror movies. So there's somebody that I can relate to. And again, this ties back to like they were definitely targeting us because I mean, we still have kids in horror movies today, mm -hmm. but there are a lot in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I will have to admit something with Poltergeist. It's not one of the movies I watched like during the 80s. Uh, that's one that I watched like. I'm talking very recently, as in I'm talking about a month ago. And, oh, that's okay. Yeah, and now just looking at it, I was like, 
Dang, some parts of this are really cheesy, but I'm sure, like, if you're little watching Poltergeist, it would be something that would scare the crap out of you. Right, especially yeah. when you have your old CRT TVs that might be on all night, something doesn't show up, You there's some static, and you're creeping by, like, maybe your dad's just falling asleep on, on the couch, and you just see that static on the TV, and you're like, I need to run downstairs and run back up, like, just to get a glass of water, because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you get pulled into the TV, into the alternate hell dimension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Yeah, and that aside, I know they remade it, and now they're remaking it again. They're remaking the remake. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch the, the remake, to be honest. I um, I do own it, I just haven't had the opportunity or the desire to watch it. Like, you know what? I appreciate the memories that I have of the original. I don't really need to see this. And I'm generally a fan of remakes. Like, I've liked most remakes, to be honest. Um, but that's just not one I was interested in. Yep, so the franchising from the 80s have carried over just pretty much even into this era. You see remakes and then remakes of remakes. And then remakes of remakes of remakes. Just goes Which is on. bananas. Yeah. Are we going to get another Evil Dead remake? Hopefully. <gasps> um. I'd be okay with that. Or at least a sequel to the existing remake. I don't know if I'd be okay with that. That's just pretty much... <laughs> Fair enough. Fair that, enough. That's kind of like another like rant like for later is like of horror remakes. But let's get into like the the characters and um, things that, um, that you think of along that line when it comes to 80s films. So whenever you think of 80s horror movie characters, heroes, villains, uh, final girls, final survivors, which ones come to mind whenever you think of 80s horror? Uh, the first ones come from like some of my favorite movies, which are Ash Williams from Evil Dead, obviously. I think that's a lot of people's favorites these days as far as like a hero that's still, I mean, even just being put into Dead by Daylight recently, the fans love Bruce Campbell. Um, Herbert West from Reanimator, Reanimator was one of those movies that I kind of grew up with and I've watched, I don't know how many times, probably more times than I've watched Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street, to be honest, like so much. And then uh, Nancy Thompson, of course, from Nightmare on Elm Street, she is one of those characters and i uh, i mean talking about villains as well freddy um like there, there's just so many iconic characters that come from that but they're from from that era but heroes i think nancy herbert west and uh ash would definitely be my top three. Oh, hey nancy's a good choice um herbert is okay that's for reanimator he's, he's like, arguably yeah. a hero but <laughs> who i think of yeah that movie was kind of strange it's another one that i watched like recently it was like it was it was good it was just like a little bit You're like what is this this decapitated head doing huh interesting yeah like what am i watching and then of course you can't go wrong with ash like you said ash and the evil dead which, which version of Ash do you like the best? Uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, um, uh, Ash versus I Evil Dead? <laughs> I like Evil Dead 2 the most. I think Ash there is, he's just become, like, he's still, like, super paranoid, and he has one-liners, but he's not, like, absolutely over the top yet. 
where is an army of darkness he he's just hamming it up at that point he's 100 percent the bruce campbell that we now know today uh but i think number two was the one that i like the most Evil Dead 2, like I will, I will definitely agree there. It is one of my favorite films, and we'll get to talking about our favorite films, like from the 80s as well. Um, some of like my favorite heroes from 80s films, um, uh, one that just comes to mind, besides you know, like the ones that you mentioned, is Ginny uh, Field in Friday the 13th Part 2. That is one of my the best uh, Friday the 13th films. Just basically, I don't know, just something about her, I feel, to where she could still sympathize with Jason, but then still recognize he was a monster that needed to be stopped. Stop killing those teenagers. Yeah. And that's kind of like also what I think of too when it comes to 80s films. You had uh, a lot of teenagers, lots of summer camps, lots of boobs. <laughs> And I'm for that. I forgot to mention, speaking of summer camps and Friday the 13th, Tommy Jarvis is another one that I would definitely put on, like, one of the top heroes that I think of, thinking back to the 80s. Uh, specifically, like, Corey Feldman in Final Chapter. Like, he's just a badass. And, again, you're as a kid, it, he's relatable as well. And you've seen him in other things. Um, I don't know. I just think that's a cool character. Tommy Jarvis is dope. Yeah, I was about ready to ask if you were talking younger Tommy or older Tommy, but you already answered that question for me. <laughs> now the villains. Okay, we talked a lot about a little bit about our uh, heroes, the villains of '80s horror. So, which ones come to mind as Jason your is my number one, a hundred percent. You didn't think That's who I got on my. Oh, I got Myers on my right, uh, on my left, and I have pushed to talk on so I can't show my right arm but it says Voorhees and Jason is my number one uh, he's too iconic and like the bulk of the series was in the 80s and I, I love most of them <laughs> so are there any particular entries in the Friday the 13th franchise that come to mind whenever you could think of your favorites uh, three is probably my favorite three or four to be honest Three, um, that's when he first gets I'll, his mask. Yes. And they do the over-the-top cheesy, like, 3D effects with the yo-yo, you know, coming down. Oh. Um, I, it has some of, like, the better kills in the franchise, I think. There's just a lot of... I don't know. I just like three and probably four and six. I, but uh, I don't know. Five is kind of neither here nor there. And I think that's just, like, personal opinions on the killer. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you there. My favorites in the franchise are two and eight. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan. And when people say, Whoa. yeah, people are like, what? Why do you like that movie? It's like, I don't know. It's just like so absurd that it's funny and I just enjoy it. Yeah, I defended that movie for a long time. I think that it was poorly marketed. Because if they called it anything else, if they didn't call it. Jason takes Manhattan. They just said like, Jason takes a boat ride. <laughs> Jason takes a cruise. I think everybody would have dug it because then it wasn't like mismarketed. This like with Jason only being in New York City for like what fifteen minutes? Yeah, for the last twenty or something. It's just like he didn't do the cool stuff that people expected him to. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people just hated it at the gate simply because it was poorly marketed. But 
at the end of the day, he still kills a bunch of people. I don't think they're some of the best kills, but it was fairly enjoyable. Yeah. And yeah, they should have, like, did it like Jason, yeah, Jason takes a boat ride. Jason goes to Manhattan. Because, at some point later on as, in the uh, film. Uh, uh, for 20 minutes. And I think that mainly had to do with, like, the budget. They didn't have the budget to shoot, like, entirely in New York City, I think is what it was. That makes sense. I get that. But when you have that idea in your head, you're thinking like, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to do all these. He's going to go sightseeing. We're going to see like prominent things in New York. I mean, we do see Times Square, but we don't get much more than that. And then it's like, I don't know that there's a lot of missed opportunity there, but I can I definitely still defend it a lot of the time. I'm glad I will defend it right there with you. And my chat is coming up with funny names like for possible Jason films. Jason versus the Muppets. Jason's family vacation. Jason goes to Broadway. I would watch the hell out of that. I want that Muppets one. That would be great. Yeah. Jason goes to Disney. Jason joins Tinder. Jason visits the Queen. Wow, my chat's coming up with a lot of good... Hold on, Jason joins Tinder would be awful. He wouldn't, no one's swiping the correct way on that one. Yeah. They're going to see this and be like, not a fucking chance. People assume half the guys on Tinder are serial killers anyway, let alone if you're wearing a Jason mask. Or if it's revealed that you are Jason underneath, it's like, not a fucking chance. He's not getting any dates. (laughs) Oh, man. What is it about, uh, do you think, what is it, okay, if I could think of how to word this question. Okay. What is it about Jason that makes him stand out to you more than, say, an iconic 80s killer like Freddy Krueger? Because when I ask you who your favorite villain was, you're like, immediately, Jason. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it is. I think it's just, like, how menacing and the fact that he doesn't talk. He doesn't ruin his character by talking. Like, I totally get that Freddy that's his character is making those jokes and being witty and fun like that. But I like the polar opposite in most cases. I like the, the darks, like the, the big stalking killers, uh, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees. And I don't know. He has, I also like the fact that it's like a supernatural aspect where he basically can't die. I mean, obviously there's tons of other slashers that exist that aren't supernatural, but I don't know. You I just, you never know what's going to happen with Jason. And I think that's what's cool. And the franchise in itself, I like because every single entry is extremely unique. Like you can basically say, oh, that's the carry one. Oh, that's the space one. That's the one with the sack on his head. That's the one where it's not Jason. Like every single one, there is something you can say that it's that one. That's the 3D one. You know, there's so many different things. And I just like, he just looks badass too. And just seeing him slowly decay, especially when you get to, uh, like, eight, when he's dis- just a disgusting slop monster looking like Tar Man from Return of the Living Dead a little bit yeah. with a mask on. I'm down with that. Ah, uh, man. Yeah, sometimes I kind of find it hard to choose, like, between those two just because I like them both, like, so much. And even though Michael wasn't of entirely he didn't get his start in the 80s michael myers he the first halloween came out in 78 then most of the sequels came out in the 80s 
I still think of him, though, as one of like what I like to call the iconic three when it comes to slashers, even though he didn't get his start in the 80s. Right. I, I agree with that. And then we could even throw in Pinhead, to be honest, because, I mean, Hellraiser's also 80s. It's just completely different, though. Like, I'm not a huge Hellraiser fan. I've only legitimately probably watched the first two uh, because I just didn't enjoy them that much. But when you talk about these iconic characters, most of them got their start in the 80s or at least were pushed forward by the 80s, like Michael Myers, where it's like, okay, like three or four of the franchise are in the 80s. Because like you said earlier, everyone's making these sequels. And so they become an established name and everybody knows who they are. Uh, you had to mention Pinhead. He still terrifies me, but I think that's just thoughts left over from when I was little. <laughs> I, 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 I came to the realization that if I watch Hellraiser, it seems like I can only watch it once every 10 years, and I haven't planned, hadn't planned it out that way. It's just when I looked back the last times I watched it, I always knew it was like in 10-year intervals. So it's like, man, that movie still terrifies me so much to this day. <laughs> it's insane. I, I don't see it. I think I needed to watch it as like a child to understand why people would find it scary. I mean, I think it's weird because like you have these like grotesque people and you like things are different. And I think a lot of fear in the 80s kind of came from that kind of stuff where you can even talk about stuff like uh, like any of the body horror movies. It's, it's not that these are horrible. It's not like they're scary, but they're weird and different, and you just don't know how to comprehend what the hell's happening. Uh, Gamer Cannibal Corpse said, Pinhead doesn't do anything other than stand and talk. Oh, you bite your tongue. He was terrifying to me. <laughs> He's like the mob boss of the Cenobites. Yeah, they come from an S&M division. They want to do painful, sexy things. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and I didn't even think about that. It didn't even register in my mind because, of course, I was. I like to think of myself as innocent, really, until I watched that movie. <laughs> then I was no longer innocent. But uh, did someone say S and M? I'm in. Oh my god. <laughs> oh boy. Here we go. Okay. All right. <laughs> also, when I think of '80s um, villains, um. One that I particularly liked, and this is a movie that has stuck with me throughout the years. I don't know if you've ever seen The Hitcher with Rucker Hauer and C. Thomas Howell. Um, I have, but very long ago. Yeah. Not in probably the last 10 years. Yeah. That movie has just like really stuck with me because of the fact how it was set in realism and it was just this guy in the car and he picks up a hitchhiker and then the guy ends up being crazy and uh Rutger Hauer plays crazy very very well and it's like one of those situations yeah. where you know this is what people already think is you know that's where you're gonna pick up oh don't pick up a hitchhiker because something bad's gonna happen and when they can cement it in your head it's like oh well shit well now I've seen the visualization of all my thoughts that's how they scare you. Yeah, so like, nope, I am never picking up a hitchhiker because I'll be like Rugger Hauer and I will end up dead. <laughs> so never gonna, never, never, never gonna do that. And so also along the lines of 80s films, something else I think about what defines film from the 80s is the music. 
the scores and the soundtracks and the different kinds of songs that went with 80s films. So do you have any like favorite songs, scores, um, vil- I know some villains had their own kind of little soundtrack that went along with them, but do you have any favorites that come to mind? Uh, yeah, I'm actually wearing the hat of one. Demons is one of my favorite 80s movies. Um, so Claudio Simonetti from Goblin. Uh, I'm a big fan of Suspiria and Tenabre and all of that kind of stuff, like the Italian stuff. Um, so the Demon soundtrack by Claudio is awesome. Uh, it's probably one of my favorites of all time. Uh, John Carpenter obviously had a few great ones in the 80s, but The Fog is one of the best having seen him recently in concert like seeing it live was insane oh. yeah his concert was it was great because they play the movies and stuff in the background and it was him and his son doing it together oh oh johnny you have Cody. the opportunity yeah if you have the opportunity you need to check it out um and maniac by jay chataway which is more of like a synthy kind of like the stereotypical kind of sound that embodies 80s movies that we still think of and have that nostalgia factor today with you know things like stranger things and basically anyone who's trying to do anything 80s these days they think of synth yeah i think that i think the maniac soundtrack is incredible yeah uh uh, a movie score that comes to mind whenever i think of the 80s it's a john carpenter film he didn't do the score for it but uh, Ennio Morricone's score for The Thing. Yep, yeah, so I felt definitely. I felt that that really set the tone of the movie. That dun 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 dun, dun at the it beginning builds that atmosphere. Ugh. And it's got these brooding tones, and you're just like, oh shit, something's about to happen. It's like, yeah, I am in love with that soundtrack, and then of course. Uh, 80s and rock tended to pair together. So you had movies that had these rock themes like uh, Man Behind the Ma- Alice Cooper, Man Behind the Mask for uh, part, Friday the 13th, Part 6, um, Dream Warriors, Dawkins Dream, um, Dream Warrior for, of course, Dream Warrior. That's what I also tend to think of when it comes to music in horror movies from the 80s. I was just never really into rock music ever. But I did still have the appreciation for the synth, so I totally get that. I don't think I could recognize like one of those songs, to be honest. <gasps> Only because I just, I know, I know. Blast I also me. didn't watch like a lot of, I didn't watch a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, well, I've seen them dozens of times, probably. It's one of my least favorite iconic franchises. <gasps> I know, I know that's blasphemy for a lot of people as well, <laughs> but. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you what song was in Dream Warriors, to be honest. I would just, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm, I'm all about that synth. All about that synth. About that synth. <laughs> That's okay. That's, like, the best thing, just about the 80s. And even any, like, um, subgenre under the horror genre. There's so much that you could choose from. So many different kinds of movies. Now let's get into the movies. Ah, before we get into our top five, what we feel is our top five favorites, let's go over the stinkers. Of course, I'm... Oh, boy. I know that someone who reviews movies on a YouTube channel has probably watched their fair share of stinkers, and the 80s is no exception. It had some stinkers. 
what are some of the movies that come to mind that from the 80s that you uh, just can't stand? As a, as a cliff note to this, there's a lot of movies that are considered stinkers that are the worst movies of the 80s that are now like cult classics, which I, I'll exclude from this list. So I'm only going to talk about like the shittiest ones, even though some of these might be some people's favorites, including Present Company. Uh, uh, my first one has to be Microwave Massacre, which was, again, it was, this is one of those movies that was tailing off of um, other massacre movies like The Slumber Party, Sorority House, that kind of stuff. Everyone's trying to make a massacre movie because they were selling. And Microwave Massacre was the biggest letdown I've ever seen. Probably one of the worst. Um, next would be Jaws the Revenge, which I think is unanimous in most cases as like the worst entry to like a horror entry sequel other than maybe troll 2 but that's not 80s so we're not talking about that and that's now a cult, cult classic anyway but jaws revenge didn't have that same love for the cheese i guess uh one that is actually kind of recent that i found which i found maybe two years ago which was elves i don't know if you've seen that one it is terrible it's about like nazi incest and I guess killer elves that look like little goblins. The it's absolute garbage, but it's now something that I watch every year. Oh, so it was three years ago because I've watched it three times now, and it is actual trash, but I love it. <laughs> it's it's tough. It's one of those ones that like I could never recommend it, but I will continue watching it. But I think it's the worst, one of the worst, possibly the worst. If you had never seen it before, you'd probably be like, "This is." right up there with like the worst movies you've ever seen. Ghoulies is one of those ones. I know this is going to trigger some people, but I think Ghoulies, the first one is just not good. I think it is probably one of the worst movies from the eighties. And <laughs> well, I did like it growing up revisiting it recently. There's not many redeeming qualities. The Ghoulies are stupid as shit. Um, I don't know. You can put this right alongside Hobgoblins, which is kind of the knockoff version. At least Hobgoblins had some more redeeming qualities because you're with the Hobgoblins a little bit more than the Ghoulies. Um, I don't know. And Friday 8. Only, the only reason it's here is not because it's the worst from the 80s, but I think it is unanimous, unanimously hated by the, I would say, yeah, everybody except you. <laughs> Like most most Friday fans really don't like this. Well, I'm fine with it, and I will defend it. I still think that it's the worst in the franchise by far. Um, uh, maybe not the worst. Maybe seven is the worst. I'm not a big fan of that one, but I think it is up there. I'm sorry. Sorry for that. Hey, I may trigger some people with my movies that I can't stand, and I may trigger you, considering um, considering that one of your favorite uh, killers is Michael Myers. I'm sorry about that, but any sequel past the second Halloween, we're talking like the one like from the '80s, is not ones that I really cared for. 
I thought it was they were kind of weird and all over the place and them trying to make Myers into almost like a supernatural kind of being is not something that really set well with me because I just see him as like just this um, man, just this like kind of evil soulless man that Dr. Loomis set the premise for in the first one. And Stephen King like kind of had a heyday during the 80s because it seemed like they were making a lot of his books into movies but most of them in my opinion were crap um and three of those made my list too um i could not stand children of the corn i thought that movie was so boring uh cujo i was like what the fuck <laughs> and i'm kind of glad that they remade pet cemetery because even watching it when i was young i was just like what is this? Some people like may hate me and be like, Brandy, how dare you blaspheme the one from the 80s? But I, I'm sorry, I don't like it. <laughs> I love Cujo and Pet Cemetery. <laughs> well, at, at least Cujo like made me kind of scared of dogs. I thought <laughs> D. Wallace was the best at the time. And Pet Cemetery, I think the, the whole gauge scene like really set me off seeing it at a young age. Um, but I haven't watched it in a very long time, so who knows if it holds up. I guess you've probably watched it more recently than I have, I would bet. Yeah, it seemed like Evil Gage, to me, tended to play off a little bit better in the book. Evil Gage is terrifying in the book. Evil Gage in a movie, it just came off as kind of this, like, um, clownish, I would... That's probably the best word that I can use to describe it. Clownish and not in a good way. <laughs> in a movie that's just supposed to be terrifying. Now, I haven't seen the remake yet. I want to, though. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but if you've seen the second trailer and any of the trailers after that, you're probably going to have a lot of things spoiled. with A major twist, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't watch and I didn't know about, so I actually really enjoyed the film. But, And I think most people will, but there's like one of those trailers actually has the entire movie in sequential order. So you know exactly how everything is spaced out, and it's really unfortunate. Man, for someone who's read the book, uh, like myself, it's already kind of spoiled for me, because I kind of know just pretty much everything just about what happens, and the twist, which I won't like give away, I kind of figure they might go that direction, considering just the way that the, uh, the one from the 80s was. So it didn't surprise me, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> But, yeah, the one from the 80s, mm -mm, I can't stand it. Okay. Yeah. That's you, fine. Yeah. You, we had some some opposing opinions on this one, but that's okay. That's going to happen because there's so many movies from the 80s that are, like, polarizing. You either love them or you hate them, depending on when you actually watch them. Like, if you grew up with certain movies like that, like, you probably love them because it's even though I did, although Ghoulies is an exception for me, because I did watch that a ton growing up, and I still hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think there's some nostalgia plays into it. Absolutely. And the ones that, like you mentioned, that you may just watch and rewatch and rewatch as a kid, and then when you revisit them as an adult, you're like, what the hell did I ever see in this? I know. There are lots of movies like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm really nervous to revisit the Critters franchise because I know that I really enjoyed it growing up and I don't know that I'll still like it. So I've been putting it off for quite a while. It's just like, yes, don't destroy my childhood memories. 
<laughs> yeah, like I, and that happens a lot. There are some movies definitely where in your in your head it was so much better, and then you go and revisit it, and you're just like, oh wait, this is so different. Uh, one is um, Driller Killer, which I think was not 80s. I think it was late 70s or something, but it was one of those movies that I absolutely loved growing up. And then I revisited it and I hated it. I was just like, this is so boring um, because like the name sa- is Driller Killer. It sounds amazing. And there's only like a handful of scenes that are even worth talking about. It's just depressing. Aw. Have you had your childhood destroyed uh, recently? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of anything recently that I watched that I don't think I enjoyed as much. I think uh, not from the 80s now. I don't think so. Okay, well that's good. Then you'll have to watch Critters soon and see like if your childhood <laughs> yeah. memories will get destroyed or if they still stand intact and you still like it just as much as you did back then. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I will pray for your soul. <laughs> now we talked about the worst. Now let's get into the best so um and whenever we whenever i gave you the questions to think about i asked okay we're gonna have to limit it to five because we could go on and on forever just about like the best movies of the 80s which i'm sure that we both have tons of them but we're gonna just limit it to our top five so what i thought we would do is just kind of riff back and forth like I would give like my number five and you could give yours and then we could just like go on from there. Uh, so is it ones that we think are the best of the 80s or our personal opinions of the, of them? It's uh, Yeah, it's basically what we think are the best horror movies like of the 80s, our top five. Our top five okay. favorites. So our top five favorites okay whenever i was thinking about it my number five and it's one that i mentioned is the hitcher that's one that has just like always stuck out in my mind as being one of the best because i like Rutger hauer i thought he was great i like to see thomas howe he did the whole like paranoid driver guy very very well uh, the story was simple, the plot line was simple, but that is definitely not a bad thing. I really enjoyed that film. Now, what about your uh, number five? Uh, my number five is going to be Poltergeist. Uh, no, hold on, I'm switching it out. Because now that I know... I, so, I was thinking of this as movies that were were the ones like that the 80s would be most known for. So, let me, let me think about this. Uh... Potentially, we'll go with Friday the 13th 3. And I've already talked about this, um, but it's just one of my favorite entries in the franchise in general. It was different because they're playing with 3D. This is one of the first movies that I that I saw even tried to play with depth. And a lot of the kills, like the eye coming closer to the screen, the yo-yo, like there's a bunch of cool things that I had not seen before. And I just think it's one of the best Ah, Jason in 3D, I remember that marketing, like, gimmick and just how much, like, it was played up. Like, go see it in 3D. People were probably like, 3D, it probably costs a lot to film. I think I I remember. Oh, definitely. I remember, like, hearing what the cost was, but I can't remember the exact amount offhand. I just know it was expensive for back then. 
Now, uh, number f- my number four, and like I said, this is hard for me to like think about, but I had to put Evil Dead 2 on my list as uh, one of my top five favorites. I like the fact that it was just like Ash back at it again. It had more of a comedic tone as opposed to like the first one had a few comedic moments in it, but I felt that this one's just like, you know what? We're going to take ourselves a lot less seriously this time. We're just going to have fun with it. And of course you have Ash's demon possessed hand, which like causes him to like have to chop it off and get his chainsaw. And you just get to see Ash kick ass. So that would have to be like my number four. Um, That's actually my number four as well. <gasps> and for those exact reasons. That's weird. Yes. Uh, and for identical reasons. It's just, it's Ash coming into, like becoming the Ash that we know today. It's just too fun. It's over the top. There's, especially knowing that it's like a remake of the first one, basically loosely. It's just like, Why? to capitalize and make more money. That's why, because Evil Dead did so well at the box office. And then it's just like, okay, let's go again. Let's do the exact same thing, but make it wackier. And the like, the hand scene is one of the most memorable scenes ever, I think. So yeah, definitely Evil Dead 2. Yes, and one of the few sequels that I could say with confidence that I really, really liked. <laughs> All right, number my number three, and I had to put this on here, is almost kind of like in homage to the very first horror film that I ended up seeing. Hellraiser would have to be my number three, even though it still terrifies me to this day. I can only watch it once every 10 years. It's more of a, has more of a nostalgia place for me than anything else. I, um, whenever I still watch it, those memories still come back from childhood. It still like terrifies me. The, I thought it was a very imaginative film for the time. Um, The Cenobites were a different breed of killer that was just unique and not something that was seen before. And so I think for that alone is why Hellraiser would be like my number three. Okay. Um, My number three, I went back and forth on. And one one of them got excluded, which sucks. Blood Diner was going to be here but it's not making my top five. That would be a completely nostalgic thing. Uh, Return of the Living Dead is one of the movies that I absolutely loved. I I watched it again, like multiple times with my friends and we would riff it all the time. And I, I don't know. There's just something about it. It just seems, it's just, I like zombies. I mean, now I've gotten a little sick of them, but mm. at the time, this was just like the most fun and enjoyable one that they knew it was over the top and campy and they just had fun with it. And I fell in love with Linnea Quigley from this one. Uh, all of the characters were great and there's just hilarious moments. And I just, I think this is a must for any fan who has not seen Return of the Living Dead. You need to watch it again right now <laughs> uh, because it still holds up. I watched it like two weeks ago again. And it's still just as good as I remember the first time I saw it. That is a good choice. I like that film. It just didn't make my top five. But yeah, I would definitely agree with you, like all the reasons that you said that the film was good. Yeah, it still holds up to this day. Like, just didn't make my top five, though. (laughs) Uh, My number two. And I know that you're not a big Freddy fan. You're more of a Jason fan. But whenever I think of my top five, I have to go with the third entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. 
And part of it was because it was a horror movie that my mom said, you have to watch. It's really good. So I have a lot of memories attached to that. Um, the soundtrack, of course, the main theme song for that. And of course you have Nancy back in that movie as the, the counselor, like therapist type person trying to help save the kids. And then you have Freddy's a famous comedic moment in that film with the TV. Welcome to primetime, bitch. <laughs> so you had like such a lot of great like kills in that film. And, like the whole kind of puppeteer, like puppet master kind of thing that he did. Oh, lots of imaginative kills in that film. So that's why that is my number two favorite. That puppeteering scene scarred me. I had these little Fangoria cards at, like back in the day. And that was one of them. And it scared the shit out of me. Uh, very cool, but no Fridays or no nightmares make my list. My number two, and this is, I don't think it's underrated. It's probably potentially underseen, but I think most people that are actually like really into horror have already seen it. And I hope they love it as much as I do. It's sleepaway camp. Um, it's often not on top tens and I don't know why I think it's has one of the best endings and most shocking endings um of any any slasher movie the characters are great and it's just an interesting story with a couple twists that i mean if you're really looking for twists you're gonna figure it out pretty easily but sleepaway camp is hilarious so many quotable lines so many great kills and it's just a fun time Ah, man, that is one that I have seen, but it's one of those, like, it's been so long ago that you, like, have forgotten everything about it. So it's one of those ones I would have to, like, go back and rewatch, but I will take your word for it that it is a cause, uh, uh, fun film. Uh, again, I will have to rewatch it and remind myself of, okay, what's it about? <laughs> But my number one, and this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody who knows me. It is a movie that I, another movie that my mom introduced me to as well. She likes horror about as much as I do. And it's a movie that was kind of an underdog when it came out. It had a very poor opening. It was called uh, Instant Junk. And it's now considered a cult classic. John Carpenter's The Thing is my number one. It is a movie that I am always connected to because I was born five days before it was theatrically released in theaters. So I always thought that it's kind of a fun fact that I like to tell people. But I love the score. I love the setting, the isolated setting in the Antarctic. I love the whole idea of the horror um, thing being one that you don't know. That is what has always terrified me the most about the thing is that it could be your best friend that you have known for 10 years. It could be the people that you work with. It could be the person that you consider the leader. The paranoia and the isolation are the main fear factors in that film. And that is why John Carpenter's The Thing tops my number one, uh, tops my list at number one. That's, that's a good reasoning. It's one of those movies that <laughs> Uh, like I didn't re it didn't resonate with me as much as a lot of people and it, it, it has never been considered for one of my top tens unless it was most influential because I know a lot of people do enjoy it but not personally for me um, my number one we talked about a little bit earlier reanimator 
And I think that is also kind of nostalgic. Just it is one of those movies that I saw early on and watched it for like every year, probably multiple times for every year of my life since I was like 10 years old and on. So I, I don't know. I just love Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West, this weird doctor who's kind of like the anti-hero. He's like, I know I mentioned him as a hero, but he's not really. He's he's doing some weird shit. He's trying to <laughs> reanimate dead bodies um, for his own personal greed. He just wants to figure it out. I want to just be that guy. And Barbara Crampton in that movie is like, I love her. And this is the movie that got me to love her. And I just think it's just, there's so many weird situations in that one as well, which kind of remind me a little bit of the reanimation in Return of the Living Dead. So it kind of goes back and forth, which is strange because now looking at this list as such a slasher fan, there's like one slasher in this whole list or two slashers, I guess, two of five, which is odd because there's so many good ones that I didn't even talk to today or talk about today. Like all the shot on video stuff like Blood Lake, Blood Hook, Blood Rage, all these blood movies and all the massacre movies that I absolutely loved, but they just never made it into my top five. It's odd. Huh. It's weird just like sitting here and thinking about it and seeing where things place on like a scale. And I think I, there's, because there's just such a vast amount of movies that I love from the 80s, I think I needed to take more into consideration while making this list. Where's They Live? Didn't even mention that. And that's one of my favorite movies. Oh, <sighs> man. I like They Live too a lot, a lot, a lot. And so talking about heroes, let's go with Roddy Piper. I think let's, we're bringing that back because yes. he's badass as all hell. Uh, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah, playing Duke Nukem, he uses that line, and I looked it up, and that's how I found They Live. It was after playing Duke Nukem, because wow. he has that line in game, in Duke Nukem, like whatever the mm-hmm. first one is, a 3D, I think it's called. Yep, yep. And I'm just like, I need to hear, I, I want to hear this soundbite or something, and I found They Live through that, which is kind of neat. And it's just like, yeah, that movie's dope. It it is it, arguably with the longest fight, awkward fight scene ever made, and I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, it was awkward, but it was also kind of realistic as well. Because like, you're gonna put these glasses on, no, fuck you. It's like this fight just goes on, just all about just like you consider just like a pair of sunglasses. What? Right. You just take a step back and like, guys, chill out. Yeah, just like you need to wear the sunglasses, Keith David, so that way you can see just pretty much what the aliens are trying to do. <laughs> yeah, the um, the also the apo- almost not apocalyptic. That's not the right word like for it. Dystopic kind of nature of that film too is also what's terrifying. It's pretty much they're doing it right under our noses, and we can't even realize it unless we have those special seeing things. <laughs> Right. Uh, I was going to mention this when we were talking about, like, what kind of created the genre or what kind of, like, set it apart. Like, in real life, we talked about, like, VHS becoming a thing, home video and stuff. But it was also the Reagan era where it was, like, politically charged and people had – they wanted to express their opinions in some kind of form. And that – They Live is one of those movies. Uh, Society, which, again, is another body horror movie that Mm -hmm. is just absolutely insane when you get to the – the shunting or whatever the hell it is. Yep. Um, 
but it was kind of because there was this separation between there was just all this segregation from people and income you have like the yuppie type and then you had the low class and that was it like there's no one in between it was just like you're either super high tier or you're nothing and there was a lot of pushback and reagan went from like 81 to 89 or something and yeah. so it's like the entirety of the, of that and if you go and look at like brian yesna's movies and um and there's a lot of there's just a lot of movies that are kind of counter to that american werewolf in london like you can say that there's some undertones of you know people going from like just body horror the fly even just trying to go from somebody like the superficial aspect and then just completely turning into a monster at some point and there's a lot of weird stuff that you can look into if you start like read, looking into the subplots of a lot of of the weird 80s horror movies oh fuck hold on can i change one one on my list i don't know which one it's going to be yeah go ahead you're allowed i i don't know where it's going dead alive i completely forgot like thinking of like the most wacky crazy shit and thinking of like the most insane moments from the 80s i have to think like dead alive or brain dead peter jackson um that and bad taste both of them those are essential viewing and i think dead alive might beat out friday to be honest thinking of it really which is wild yeah i i don't know i'd really have to sit down and think about this for a lot longer than i did Wow! completely forgot yes dead alive is one of those movies that i could watch over and over again um simply because it's just so crazy and it's one of those movies that i like showing people that aren't horror fans because things just continue to escalate and it just is super gory it's insane i'm just a huge fan oh when you try totally forgot about that when you try to convert people to the horror genre, you here that's... try this one. <laughs> yeah, just like scar them for life and never make them watch another horror film again. <laughs> I did that a couple times with like Thanks Killing, oh. not an '80s movie, oh, but it's definitely a no. weird one that is hilarious to try and show people that don't watch horror movies. That is just mean. You are mean. <laughs> How dare you sh- uh, try to introduce someone to the horror genre? Thanks, killing. Perfect. It's a perfect one. No! <laughs> you have to ease people into it, baby steps, and then you can show them thanks, killing. You don't want to, like, scar them for life. That's true. Okay, what 180s movie, an 80s movie that you would show somebody today that to transition somebody who doesn't watch horror? So, okay, an 80s movie to transition someone into it doesn't watch horror. Well, it wouldn't be the thing, and as much as I love it, it does have its gross elements, so I wouldn't want people to be like, ah, and like be scarred for life. Let's see here. Ooh, trying to think of, a lot of the 80s horror movies were crazy. I will admit, you you were absolutely right. There's a lot of like, um, practical special effects, gore, blood, 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 more blood. Um, probably the one I would introduce them to. I hate you. This is, is it, a hard question. It's a, it's a tough question, I know. Oh, okay. If So if I had to think of one right off the top of my head, it would probably... 
You know, I would probably go with, I'm just going to go back to the Hitcher if I have to think of one off the top of my head because a lot, it's relatively tame. It still has its scary moments, but it's uh, relatively tame too because there's a scene whenever uh, C. Thomas Howell, his character, comes across a car of people that Rutger Hauer had killed. And all you see is just him um, looking into the car, but you see it from like the cameras like in the car and it's, you can see, see Thomas Howell like from that angle. You don't see the body, so you don't see the blood. All you see is the reaction, his reaction. And that's all you need to see. So it's still got its creepy moments. It's still scary, but it's not like so gore-tastic like a lot of the movies from the 80s um, tend to be. I want. I would want to try and ease people into the genre, not scare them. Away. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You don't want to scare them away with the thanks killing shit. <laughs> uh, if I was gonna choose one from the '80s, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't even be one that's classic because I know that people would get mm-hmm. a lot of things mm-hmm. um, in their head already. They have preconceptions of what they're about to see. So I would go with something like Chopping Mall, which is borderline. Like, yes, it's a horror movie, but. It's it's robots, so it's easier and for like the like a common audience to get into it. But it still has the over the top cheesy acting, cheesy situations, and hilarious kills. Um, and I think that it could work. I don't know if it would be the perfect transition movie. I think that probably Evil Dead Two is probably the easiest transition movie. Hmm. But again, that gets a little too wild. Maybe yeah. The, maybe the the first Evil Dead. Might be a good one. I don't know. That was pretty nuts, too, at certain points. <laughs> You're right. This would be, that would be really tough to choose one from the 80s to be like, this is the one. This is the one that you should watch. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Blood Rage. Yeah, too many movies. Killing. Yeah, too many movies or, uh, have thanks, blood Thanksgiving in them. one. <laughs> I know. Blood and gore and guts. Yeah, a lot of the 80s movies, that was the only thing that could define them. Blood gore guts lots of killings uh wild crazy all that stuff (laughs) and i love it and that that's the kind of stuff that i still love today and it disappoints me that so many people rely on cg these days and don't do the same practical effects that you know made like basically built the genre in the 80s and we saw it continue through the 90s and then late 2000s that's when like it's just an overabundance of cg usage because people know that it's like oh we can fix that in post we can do that in post we have these guys that can do the blood it's like no cg blood no matter how good your effects guy is is gonna look as good as just smashing an actual like prop you know it's not the same and it's i find that now in 2019 you see these movies that are using actual practical effects and those are the ones that people are gravitating to and which is great um i miss i miss the 80s and there's a i i feel that a lot of people now are are trying to capture that that image and i'm totally for that but there's also a lot of people that don't know how to properly do it because even if you're fans of the 80s, it's really difficult to make a purposely cheesy movie because it's either going to be super cringy or <laughs> it's so evident that you're trying too hard to not like give nods to all your favorite films. And I think I, I think there's just a lot of movies being made in general right now 
that are all doing that. We're a love letter to 80s. And I see that like tagline on most of the stuff that we watch. And it's frustrating. Um, but some people do actually capture the same feel. Yeah, in the 80s, it seemed a little bit more effortless. Um, and like you said, like nowadays, it's just like you can definitely tell when someone is trying too hard. And oh, yes, I definitely agree. Um, Mr. She said the thing had some of the best practical effects thanks to Rob Bo um, Bowden. 100% agree. His work on the thing was phenomenal. And like the, how we could come up with like all those creatures is just like it blows blows my mind. It's crazy. All right, so let's um, kind of now wind it down to the last and final question for the evening. So it's 2019, and you kind of mentioned already a little bit about 2019. Like, well, in 2019, people seem to want to recreate the horror movies of the 80s and try and get some of that nostalgia back, um, some of that magic. So why is it, um, I guess, how should I word this? Why do you feel that 80s horror movies, that people still love them so much, like almost, we're getting like close to almost 40 years later in some cases? I think it's that... A lot of the directors that we're seeing right now grew up in the 80s or at least like lived through the 80s, saw the influence that a lot of the 80s movies had and or like and they're continuing. They're either continuing to make those films if they were old enough or right now, those people are finally at a position. They're in their mid 30s, early 40s, and they have the money. They have the accessibility to digital equipment like People can, everybody can make a movie these days. Yeah. It's not that expensive. And if you have the right resources, I mean, obviously they're not going to be the highest budget, but you can, it's definitely easier to get into filmmaking now because of the internet. You can learn on YouTube, you can distribute through Amazon, you can distribute through any of these digital platforms, you can get publicity from YouTubers like us. Like there's tons of horror sites just waiting to talk about new horror films. Um, there's just a lot of easy ways for people to get into it. And I think that it's people like me, 34, 34 years old, that it's like, oh, you know what? I love these movies. I, I grew up in the 80s. I like and I want to capture the same stuff that I saw in the 80s. Not enough people these days are using practical effects. I want that synthy sound and I'm going to go make my own movie. You know, let's get an Indiegogo campaign going and let's do it. Um, you see this kind of mentioning like Stranger Things is also capitalizing on nostalgia. Mm -hmm. The new American horror story is 1984. Yep. Uh, Summer of 84 was one of my favorite films from last year, obviously mm -hmm. in the eighties. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And a lot of people just enjoy that era because so many movies came out that are now iconic um, simply because there's a lot of us that are, we all kind of grew up with them. And so this is our era. <laughs> and it's one of the, the first ones where it was easier to make movies. Yep. I mean, in the eighties, arguably it was because, I mean, that's what kicked off all of the slasher films because it was shot on video stuff. It's like, Oh my God, 
Sony or Panasonic came out with a handy cam and I can go make a movie. And then thousands of directors did. And that's what we're still looking back to. And some of those people are still making the movies today. Like Tim Boggs, who made Blood Lake, like he still makes movies. Donald Farmer, one of the most like influential indie guys, still makes movies. Some people are obvious, like still on a shoestring budget. And most people probably don't even like his stuff. And I've riffed a lot of his stuff, but they're still doing it. And it's all because of the love of the craft. And I think a lot of people now are just doing it for the love. And they look back to the 80s because that's what they love. Oh, a lot of it is like nostalgia, you feel. So just trying to recapture that nostalgia feeling. I think so. And... Like, even if it's not nostalgia for themselves, it's stuff that they wish they could have made 20 years ago, but they just weren't old enough and they didn't have the options to. And now they finally do. And it's like, I want to make what I always wanted to make. Maybe they were sitting on a script for 20 years and now it's time. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. The video cut off the last part of you. It's just being annoying. So what was the last thing that you said? Oh, I was just saying that... Um, it's these people that probably had scripts back in the day. They were they wanted to make this movie. They had this idea. And now they finally have the option to get it funded, create it, and actually get it out there. So you see a lot of these nostalgic films coming to play because they have the opportunity to make those movies. Okay, I get you. I, just wanted, I wanted to make sure that we got what you said because technology is annoying. <laughs> Makes things easier, but it's also annoying. You just want to punch it whenever it just decides to do crap like that. But, all right. Now, before we officially, officially wrap things up, um, where can people find you on YouTube, on social media? Plug yourself, my dear sir. <laughs> all right. My name's Jay Bond. I'm from Bloodbath and Beyond. Check me out on YouTube at Bloodbath and Beyond. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter at bloodbath underscore TV. And for my personal thoughts and stuff, hit me up at the sneak on Twitter. All right. So this was such a fun podcast tonight. It's this episode has been kind of like a month in the making. And I really do appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come and talk some eighties horror with me. It was so much fun. I like, so I really do appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. If you want to talk horror at any other point, let me know. Uh, we'll touch base. We'll figure out another era to talk about if you need somebody. Ooh, yes. I will, I'm definitely going to keep that in mind, and I will hold you to it. Fair enough. All right. Well, you take care, sir, and I hope you have a good rest of your night. All right. Take care. Thanks again. Bye. See ya. Once again, thank you so much to Jay, a.k.a. Killsberry a.k.a. of Bloodbath and Beyond on YouTube, for coming and talking with, uh, with some Annie Horror with me. I appreciate it. The next podcast will be on Wednesday the 17th at 10.30 p.m. Central Time, where I will be talking with Vampire Toy and Silver Trigger about vampires in horror. So I hope that you all come out for that. You can find me um, on youtube.com slash brandykins and you can find Terrific Talk on Twitter at twitter.com slash Terrific Talk. So for all of you out there, stay terrific, everybody. And bye-bye. <laughs>